This is Eric Gould, and this is TechView Now. Today on the line, I have calling in New York City. I have uh, Salvador Brigman. Uh, Salvador, your life, both day, night, weekends, is all about crowdfunding. And what I understand is you spend a great deal of your time helping other people learn about uh, crowdfunding through a number of different platforms. Let me hear a little bit about some of the ways that you're spreading the word uh, about crowdfunding and what your involvement is. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And first, thanks so much for having me on, Eric. Uh, um, I also run a podcast, and it is uh, 24-7, definitely around crowdfunding. So uh, basically, the, the, we sort of help the creators in a few different ways. When I came to the crowdfunding industry, there wasn't all that great educational information out there. So with crowdcrux.com, it's a blog, it's a podcast. You also now have a, an online learning course. It's really aimed at educating creators about the best practices for crowdfunding. That could be they're launching a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. That could be they're doing an equity crowdfunding campaign or increasingly now a nonprofit kind of online fundraising campaign. But that's our focus with CrowdCrux. We also run a few online forums, crowdfunding forum, Kickstarter forum, and other sites that we're experimenting with. And these communities are mainly there so that a creator can just dive in, can ask questions, can get feedback from other creators, can give feedback on service providers that they've used, and really just makes the process so much more transparent than what was out there before I initially came into the industry. So how long have you been doing this? Because uh, this type of information is wonderful. Uh, when did you get started in this? This was a little bit over two years ago now. Um, and it certainly, it's been a wild ride and the industry has changed so much since I initially got, got into it. Um, a long time ago in a, a galaxy far away, I was in college and I was doing a, a mini thesis comparing the different categories on Kickstarter and really? how success rates vary between the categories. So nowadays, it's pretty much standard that if you're launching in the publishing category versus a gaming or a design category, the variables for success matter differently. And your social network matters much more in a publishing category versus uh, if you're doing some kind of a cool technology gadget and you can go you know, viral on Mashable or one of these other big sites. So I was experimenting and uh, really just cataloging how these different variables, whether that's your social network, whether that's your um, how much PR you've gotten, um, all these different things will uh, factor into your success and how that varies from category to category on Kickstarter. That's really how I got into it. Wow. So what's the lesson that you took away from all that? The lesson I took away is it's very hard to, dis uh, to design an accurate study. Um, I was doing a, <laughs> a, a logistic regression on my findings. We used a PHP scraper script to get all of this information. And uh, we did have some results, like some outliers, like the dance category and publishing categories were very different than the gaming categories and design categories, which I sort of already into it. But um, the, I don't think the findings were as hardcore enough for me to do like a full-blown publishing of the, of the paper. But it got me interested in the industry in general, and I just started researching all these different topics. And that's what led to CrowdCrux um, to become established as a blog. So it was something that was an interest that you had in school. You were looking at it from a theoretical point of view. Uh, so over the last two years, uh, what has been some of the biggest changes in this whole crowdfunding market, which is really in its infancy still? I think it's actually, um, it, it depends on which segment of crowdfunding, but I did a recently a post on, entitled, Is Kickstarter Slowing Down? And basically what we're seeing is that year over 
every year there was a huge exponential growth with the lead platform Kickstarter. And it's increasingly starting to slow down in terms of um, successfully funded projects and all of that stuff. So we might be seeing a little bit of a maturation actually in the reward space as it stands. So when um, you so let me just cut in there for a second. When you say it's slowing down, is it are you saying are you saying it's slowing down because the 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 percentage of deals that are going through it are not getting funded or is there a, uh, is there a slowing down the amount of dollars? What's actually going on there? I was specifically measuring the the number of dollars that have been successfully raised. And uh, I, I think part of that slowdown is that there's been so much focus on the categories that Kickstarter is best known for. So like gaming, technology, music, um, creative projects. These are the kind of projects you think about on Kickstarter. But really there are so many other categories that people can take advantage of and launch a project in that people that maybe are in the publishing industry aren't as technology savvy and might not have heard of Kickstarter yet. Um, so I do think that we can see more growth in the in the time to come. But uh, right now, as it is, it seems like it's slowing down a little bit. Well, that's funny that you say that because to my eye, I'm seeing just the opposite. Now, and maybe I look at the technology set. I look at where kind of the, the newest and greatest tech that's coming out there. And what I'm seeing is it used to be, at least to myself, it used to be companies who had no money. And this was really their only attempt at raising money or getting their product funded was through Kickstarter. But now I'm seeing companies that have venture capital uh, or substantial amounts of dollars in seed capital, uh, hundreds of thousands or even or even more, uh, using Kickstarter as a kind of a platform or as a marketing tool to launch their product. Uh, how is that affecting Kickstarter? And are you noticing sort of some of that trend as well? The one thing I should also preface with saying that the, the platform I view is slowing down. What I mean is the year-to-year -year percentage growth. And that's very natural just as a technology company that year-to-year uh, -year it's harder to grow at the same rate that you've been growing. That's not to say that crowdfunding is not going mainstream. I definitely think it is. You know, We do see uh, lots of new established companies launching campaigns, lots of names that we've heard of You know, in the past years, Zach Braff. Um, actually, recently, Eric Reese, who... Uh, did the Lean Startup, a very best-selling book in the tech sector, uh, Kickstarter, and has raised almost 500000 a little bit over that. Um, so we are seeing it going mainstream and being adopted by more businesses. Um, and I do think it's going to continue to see that level of growth. It's just not going to grow as aggressively as we've seen in the past, you know, 2010 to 2012, when it was really getting its foothold, I think. Oh, sure. So what you're talking about is just, you know, as anything gets bigger, you can't double and double and double every year. You're going to slow down a little bit uh, just as, as, as a rate going forward. What Have you seen any, any other really significant changes in the way people are looking at these crowdfunding platforms? I mean, you probably have seen a, a, a place where at some point in time they weren't really accepted. They seem like, you know, kind of half scam. And now they're I think they're getting some credibility. What's your view? Mm -hmm. So I guess in the very early days, both Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and other crowdfunding platforms were very much for hobbyists. 
And there were very small raises. It wasn't until you know a year or so in when we started to get these larger raises. And I'd say in the past year to two, we're starting to see more people who have more of a business, you know, unscrupulous mindset, trying to take a little bit of advantage of the system and either raise money and go and fly to a tropical island and just never hear from them again, or raise money and really just having such a commercially driven uh, viewpoint that they're not taking care of their backers in the way that the platform was intended. Um, so we talked about some of the, the, just to highlight some of the changes that Kickstarter has gone through. Nowadays, the, the emphasis that I'll give with creators is that you need to absolutely have a video when you're launching a project. And that's partly to establish credibility. You know, among all these other projects that are launching, among people who could be you know, possibly scam artists, you know, it's a very small percentage, I think, of, of the campaigns out there. Well, you need it, a video to establish trust. Well, let me do that. Before I really agree with the video, but I just want to cover one thing going forward. I haven't heard of myself. I know in the older days, there were people who raised money and then kind of disappeared off the planet. Let's just cover fraud for a moment. Is that increasing or decreasing dramatically? And is the video part of the reason why it's decreasing? Now, I don't have any statistics to back this up, but on my own uh, observations, I think the fraud rate is staying level, but the total number of campaigns, whether that's on GoFundMe, that's on Kickstarter, that's on Indiegogo, um, total, the campaign growth is growing. So we also see fraud growing naturally. All right. So we're, the video is a, is, a, is a true mark in establishing credibility. Tell me more about the video. What does it need to have and why does it establish that credible marker? So as you know, I'm, I'm very much a statistics guy. And when I first came to crowdfunding, I thought, why do we need a video? Why does that make the process magical? And over the years, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and other sites have released some amazing statistics on the impact of these videos. So for example, Indiegogo released that videos, uh, campaigns with a video will raise a bit, a hundred, a little more than a hundred percent than campaigns that do not have a video, which to me is just astounding. Uh, Kickstarter is 50% versus 30% on their platform for including a video and uh, an independent firm, um, WMP Digital Media, they rate, they calculated it to be about 85% in terms of being more likely to achieve your goal if you include a video. Uh, the video. So what you're saying, I mean, essentially, is that uh, if you want to succeed, uh, you got to have a video. Slam dunk. If you if you want to succeed, you'd be uh, yeah. It, it would it would make most sense to to have a video, and uh, not just statistically, but also just from engaging with your backers, with these people that are supporting your project and want a copy of whatever it is that you're creating. It's a great way to engage with them and build that community. So tell me, what are the essence? I mean, in the video, does you know some of the things that I see is sometimes there the founder is in the video, sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's a product demo, sometimes there isn't a product demo. Is there a you know a formula uh, to success in the video that not only do you have to have the video, but are there three to five elements that you must have to make your video uh, pop and get engagement as you want it? Certainly, I would also say that. I don't think there is necessarily a formula or an equation. There are examples that um, don't necessarily um, conform to what I'm going to, the advice that I'm going to give. But I would think it very much, um, if you're more familiar with regular commercials, um, if you've ever seen an Apple commercial, 
they're very different than uh, regular commercials. An Apple commercial, you know, you have Johnny Ive, you learn a little bit about the lead designer, uh, you learn about the product, Jamie body framework, you learn about all the hard work that's been going into it, and that's a very good framework for creating a Kickstarter or, or an Indiegogo video. So what you want to do with the video, uh, mm -hmm. number one is explain is the creator is behind this project and what their passion is, why they're doing this. People connect with other people first. And that's what, in my opinion, separates so many of these other campaigns out there is the amazing story. The second is making sure that you have some kind of a prototype. You know, crowdfunding is not a good stage if you're just doing an idea phase company. You need some kind of a hard prototype, something that you can show people, that people can get excited about, and just imagine the possibilities. And the third one I would say um, is making sure that duration is between three to five minutes. There are examples of great videos going longer, great videos going shorter, but the idea is that when someone watches your video, just like a YouTube video, they shouldn't ever have a boring moment. It should be completely fluid and they should be attentive the entire time. All right, so really good cutting, making sure that you understand uh, workflow, time flow, when people think about it. Include a story about the creation of the device. Really tell the whole story, get the emotional ap appeal. Apple is wonderful. You're talking about Johnny Ives. He tells these wonderful stories in that great British accent uh, about what's, <laughs> what's going on. And just, just phenomenal. But when you say that, I've seen some really, really successful products and successful videos where the, the founder, either because they are not charismatic, I mean, there are some examples of, you know, of the smartwatch product where the, the, the leader of the company is incredibly charismatic. And then I've seen other companies being really successful and the founder, either because of lack of charisma, lack of on-screen personality, or simply accent issues and language issues don't appear, but they're using outside firms or agencies like Sandwich or other companies, they're succeeding. Is it just that these other outside companies are so good at telling the story that they're able to get around showing the founder, or do you need the founder has to be in the video? I wouldn't say that the founder must be in the video in order to have a successful campaign. And I would sort of approach it the same way that if you're going to launch a new business, you can use credit cards to say finance your business, but it might not be the best way to go about it. You know, you can have a successful business financed on credit cards. Um, I would say within the, the, you know, having these professional PR agencies or these professional video makers to make the video, that's definitely something that as long as the, the story is there, the, it has a great, great presentation. It's engaging. A little bit of humor. It always something um, that's going to resonate with backers. And as long as also the creator or the company is transparent, you know, showing their social media feeds, showing that they've created maybe products in the past, um, that's definitely going to resonate resonate with creators. And I personally, I prefer the videos that are a little bit more um, not as professional, that are a little bit more just done by an independent creator, just because that's in the spirit of the platform but there are these commercial videos out there that are seeing traction but the ones that are super commercial i definitely think turn off backers interesting so you can go over the edge that way so let me put you on the spot a little bit uh if you can uh in the tech category uh any videos or products come to mind that either are major hits for you or major fallouts for you 
Of course. We actually just did a rapidly funded Kickstarter podcast examining some of the current videos. Um, and they're very extremely different. So, for example, the Tico, which is a unibody 3D printer, has a, had a really great video. One of the things that really stands out with this rapidly funded post is the background noise that we see, uh, background music in all of these different videos. And like the Tico, we talked about the Snap Power Charger. Um, these campaigns, they, they, they show not just what people can do with these products, but also just um, seem to communicate a little bit of emotion in terms of uh, what it is that people um, who are interested in, whether that's 3D printing or uh, a movement towards Internet of Things, what it, it, it communicates that feeling. I don't know how else to describe it with that video. And they do that with music. They do that with the uh, types of examples in the video of how to use the product. Um, but on the other side, we uh, featured a campaign. It's called the Better Back campaign. It's for this product that basically you can wear it in the workplace. It wraps around your knees and your back and it helps you have good posture. And the creator, you know, this is more of a, a design or a fashion product. But the, the creator had a much more, uh, I would say, commercial video using customer testimonials. So it was more of a, a commercial I would think I would see on the TV. But they still have been successful, raised over $100,000, over 1,000 backers. So it, it's very difficult to give a one answer to what is the correct way to, to, to structure that video. Well, what if, I, if I kind of sum up what you're saying is you got to be able to connect with your user, whoever that user is. And the more you know about the user, the more you are that user, uh, the better you'll be able to connect with them. Would that be a good synopsis of what you're describing? Definitely. And there are also a little bit, a few tricks of the trade that you can use to, to even go further. So like customizing that video thumbnail to make it look intriguing. You know, your project's going to be listed among a bunch, a bunch of others. And sort of like YouTube, customizing your thumbnail to look attractive or um, give someone a very quick idea of what the project is about, it's going to increase the click-through rate to your video and your project. Now, the thumbnail, of course, is that, that static item or picture that you see before you actually uh, press play on it. Is that what you mean? Is that the thumbnail? That's correct, yes. And people can even customize that towards their end of the, their campaign to, to point or direct their backers about some message related to their business. So one thing that I'm seeing going on is that I'm not just seeing one video at the very beginning. I'm starting to see some companies that are doing multiple videos uh, along the way. Uh, are you seeing that? And, and, and what have you seen in terms of the effectiveness and sort of the uptake of shipping multiple videos throughout the campaign? Definitely. I've seen creators not only do uh, upload multiple videos, but do other video updates, do videos through social media, um, whether that's uploading a Facebook video. And really, as creators become more savvy, I think it's just a great way to communicate your story, your values, and the story of your product uh, over the extended period of time of your campaign. Um, so I am seeing that as well as you are. And I also, I do think it's a, it's a great practice um, to maintain interest throughout that you know, 25 to 45 day time period when you are raising funds. That difference can make someone decide to um, up their pledge tier or forward the project to their friend or um, think about someone who maybe is in journalism and is looking for an interesting product to write about. Okay, so it, it's an interesting thing because it, there's at one level, at the very, very beginning, you're trying to attract interest for the product overall. And then later on, what you're trying to do is motivate your backers to either 
upsell or buy more, or hey, guys, you were really excited about this a couple of weeks ago. Let's get you excited about it again. And remember, you've shared it with some people, but let's share it again and bring some more people in. So it's almost two markets uh, going in. And that's are you thinking about it that way, or you, or is there some other aspect to it? So I come from more of a traditional marketing background, and a lot of these creators, tinkerers, inventors are amazing. They have this amazing technological ability to create new products, but they don't necessarily have the marketing side down yet. And in, in my industry, it's very common if you're, say, launching a new digital product, a new digital course, um, some kind of a membership website, that you would put customers through an autoresponder sequence of, say, three videos, which not just introduce them to you you and what this new membership website or digital product is about, but it gets them to want to buy into that vision. So we're seeing that marketing technique, which is used in a lot of internet marketing companies um, and also just a lot of established companies to get a customer to buy into some kind of a vision or, or a product. We're seeing that transition as well into the crowdfunding area. Describe that a little bit more in detail because I think what you're saying is you've already got a customer, they paid for your subscription, but you want to reinforce the message in some way that they're really happy about the purchasing decision. Is, is that the type of marketing? They could be used for that. So for example, someone decides to buy you know, a $49 uh, ebook with media, multimedia, and all this kind of stuff, and then you continue to send them messages to try to upsell them on your established course, which is going to help them even more. So that could be, for example, an, a back, someone who's already backed the campaign is trying to level up to one of the upper tiers. You also just have people like me putting out their great content, you know, videos that could be podcasts, that could be blog posts, sharing a lot about information um, to get them into the, the buying state or to establish a relationship with the audience so that they do decide to, an example of crowdfunding, back that project or that campaign. So these videos that we see that they're releasing throughout the project, that might move someone on the needle from, you know, I was interested in this product to, okay, I want to be a part of this. You know, I want one of these. I want to uh, pledge at this particular reward tier. And I'm, I'm definitely going to tell my friends about this now. This is so cool. So how do you reach? So, so one of those, if they've already contributed or donated, that's an easy person to reach because you have their name, you have all their contact information. So here you are day 22 into a 45-day campaign. What do you do to reestablish connection with people who may have heard about you or bring people back into you? I mean, that's kind of the hard part, to re-energize the campaign. You've already got the great article in, you know, in one of the top magazines, but now it's day 20, things are stagnating. What type of, how can you use video to help there? It is, it's extremely difficult, let me just say, um, to maintain momentum throughout the campaign. Most campaigns are going to see what's called a Kickstarter slump model, where within the first, I'd say, week, they see the majority of their pledges, and they see the majority of the pledges um, in terms of influx in the last you know, three days or so, and then sort of a stagnating period in the middle. Other campaigns do um, exhibit more of a linear growth or um, some even an exponential growth throughout the, the duration of their campaign. And if you are interested, anyone listening to this, go to kicktrack.com. You can see the statistics for any kind of campaign over its duration. But to get to your question, so um, there are a few ways to maintain 
momentum. One, as you mentioned, um, putting out great content throughout the campaign, whether that's videos, whether that's sharing, uh, doing an AMA on Reddit, answer anything, um, doing uh, you know Facebook post, all that kind of stuff, interviews, doing PR outreach. There's also a few ways, just doing Kickstarter stretch goals, doing add-ons. These are ways to also um, maintain interest among your existing set of backers and also among people that might have been lurking and have seen it on Reddit or have seen it in a blog post, have seen it on a news site, and uh, have just been kind of checking up on it but haven't pledged yet. So in terms of uh, of, of uh, goals, this is something, or even offering items, <clears throat> what I see is some, some smarts where if you buy one, you got one price, you buy two, you get another price, you buy 10, another price, and then I'm seeing this, uh, you know, this absurd thing, and I'm not sure whether it's meant just so that friends and family can donate, but, you know, if you, for $10,000, you'll come out, we'll fly you out, and you'll visit all the founders, and et cetera, et cetera. Is there another way to generate high volume, high sales, other than these uh, special, you know, VIP type treatment offers? Is there a way to stimulate distribution of the product to a larger audience or even to a reseller's market by the way you uh, package up your offerings on Kickstarter and other campaigns? Uh, So just so I understand your question, you're asking if creators can partner with a retailer after their project has finished or with a with a broadcaster during the campaign? Oh, no, I was really referring to something much simpler than that. And it is that... uh, if I want to sell, so what I was talking about is that when people tier their campaigns, there seems to be a reasonable level where I buy one, I buy 10, maybe it's a $49 product, it's $499, then there's some offer for $10,000 or $5,000, uh, mm-hmm. you get a special VIP trip to come visit with the founders. Is there another way to sell large quantities of product or units so that they can get redistributed to other people. I understand one of the things that I'm, I'm not I'm speaking out of turn here a little bit, but one of my understandings what Pebble Watch did is that they had units or offerings where they knew that people were going to buy them in other parts of the world, not necessarily the U.S., and then try to resell them uh, for a profit. Where does Kickstarter mm-hmm. and other platforms uh, fit into that category? So that's a very difficult question just because there are so many different categories on Kickstarter. So, for example, a creator approaches me with a film campaign versus a a technology gadget. My advice might be completely different in that regard. Um, But I I think this actually, the answer to this question, as a creator, you are going to know your target demographic best. And you're going to know whether this demographic consists of people that are just consumers of the product or people who are intimately familiar with the industry and who might be interested in some kind of a reseller uh, kind of deal there. Well, let me so give you, let me, let, me, let me jump in. I'm going to give you a case in point that I was doing this. So we did a we we visited the folks over at a, a Naked Filter. That's basically it's a water bottle that allows people to uh, just take any water, fill it up, put the cap on, and all of a sudden you're getting. Uh, Great drinking water, smells good, tastes good, and removes all the bad things from it. So I saw this and I said, you know, what I would really like to do is I want, I don't want one of these. Yeah, I, so I bought, I want one bottle for myself, but what I'd really like to do is to buy a hundred of these or 200 of these 
and ship them somewhere in the world where they don't have good drinking water and people are dying from it. But it, mm-hmm. comes into, it comes into this whole donation category. I was trying to come up with some way to really help these guys out and also help other people out with, with something that would give them uh, clean drinking water. How would you work around something like that? So the, the first thing I would, uh, well, at least in my opinion, that crowdfunding is very different from e-commerce. So with the majority of crowdfunding campaigns, you're speaking about a creator who has created some kind of a prototype and who doesn't have you know a lineup of all of these different products just uh, in their basement that they're going to be shipping out. They really have to go out, you know, they have manufacturing plans, maybe they have fulfillment plans, but this is kind of going to be a test run. You know, the people that you're shipping it out to, you're going to get feedback on the product. You might learn that you need to change such and such before it goes into official mass production. So I think it's a little bit dangerous to treat it a little bit too commercial there. Um, I think once you set up the e-commerce store, once you've verified that your systems of shipping and manufacturing have worked out for this order, then you can start to get into the more of the um, philanthropic or um, donation uh, category there with giving away some of your product to an in-need demographic or partnering with resellers. So you're talking about using the entire Kickstarter campaign of not just testing the need for the product or the value of the product to the consumer, but testing all your processes and within the company itself. Very much true. That's exactly what I think crowdfunding is there for, is the validation of not just the idea, but also the the systems in place to bring that idea to millions or thousands of people around the world. So we spent a lot of time on Kickstarter. Talk to me about some other platforms that are coming out or, or, or other things that are that are happening in the whole crowdfunding category that's getting you excited. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm actually just now writing a post about some of the up-and-coming platforms out there. So on the creator front, there are subscription-based websites, uh, Patreon or Patreon, I never know how to say that one, um, which is a subscription subscription-based crowdfunding website. There are donation-based websites like GoFundMe, um, Deposit a Gift. There's peer-to-peer fundraising websites, um, CauseVox, Classy, those kind of sites. And lastly, there, there are equity crowdfunding websites where rather than backing a product and getting a copy of it, you would be investing a small amount in a business. So like in the UK, that could be Cedars or Crowdcube or in the US, uh, Fundable. And a segment of that, there's actually, you know, just to go even further, it, it seems dizzying amount of information here. There's also real estate crowdfunding where people are buying essentially shares of a property. Um, and even by me in Williamsburg, there have been real estate crowdfunding deals where smaller investors bundle together to, to purchase a property, whether that's commercial or um, some kind of another property. Well, it's interesting to, to see uh, what, what comes up in the real estate I hadn't heard of before. But talk to me about fundable Fundable is where you have to be an accredited investor to be able to invest in. Is is are we is that the case? Or are there other services that are opening up that other people can also participate in? So it depends on uh, where you are in the world. So if you're in the United States. Um, there's been some movement to legalize the interstate uh, crowdfunding just for everyday Americans. So you don't have to be, you know, in some territories, uh, a, a, a accredited investor in order to engage on one of these platforms. But pretty much in the United States, it, it hasn't been enacted that a non-accredited investor can invest in a in a you know, meaningful way 
on these uh, different crowdfunding platforms like you know I mentioned Fundable, uh, CircleUp, Crowdfunder. Right now, it's mainly limited to accredited investors. I believe that's over two hundred thousand um, dollars in yearly income or two million net worth. I think it is. I'd have to recheck that. But on other other areas of the world, you know, in the UK, that is the case. You know, so we're behind. <laughs> oh, so in the in the UK. Now, can an American invest in UK companies, or uh, if you, you have no, to live, no, you, no. you have to live there. Yeah, you have to live there. So, is this is a result of what people really wanted, or is this a result of people who were disappointed that they backed the company and then it got sold to, uh, uh, let's say, Facebook for several billion dollars going the forward? Oculus Rift. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I think. Um, We've seen a huge push in this legislation for the past, you know, two years, I believe it is, or three years. Um, and it still hasn't come to fruition. And there's a lot of reasons why people want it passed. And it, it makes, to me, perfect sense. If you're going to have a public stock market where people can invest in publicly traded companies, ultimately, there should be some kind of a uh, secondary market market for smaller companies um, that you might invest in uh, as a, an American, you know, the next Facebook or the next uh, Oculus Rift, which is then sold to Facebook. Um, people do want, they want to be a part of American innovation. You know, they want to be, a, they want a slice of the American industry because historically, you know, the past 200 years, our country has done amazing. So let me ask you the question, probably the question that you get asked hundreds of times a day. I'm about to come out with a product which site do I use? It really depends on um, what the product is, um, if you've done any kind of seed rounds before and what you need the money for, and also if you have any capital already. So like, there are people who will go on Indiegogo and do a uh, flexible funding option where they can keep anything that they raise, but that's only because that even if they only raise, say, $5,000 of a $10,000 goal, they already have financing so they can create the product and ship it out to their backers. Whereas if they don't have any capital, they would have to raise the, the $5,000 gap there to, in order to ship out those rewards to their backers, which in that case, that, that flexible funding option would be a really bad idea. You'd want to go with something all or nothing like. So what do I do if, uh, in terms of looking at the installed base? I mean, one of the things that I think these platforms do is that people discover things there. Am I more likely to get discovered on one service versus another? In in general, and Indiegogo has been much more shy with their statistics uh, versus Kickstarter. It, it's pretty much a debate between Indiegogo and Kickstarter here. Um, there are niche platforms like I'll throw one out, uh, Pub Slush. And um, what are you Pub saying? Slush, that is Pub Slush. Pub Slush is a niche crowdfunding platform. Wow. It's focused entirely on publishing. Um, that I think they they bring a lot of value to the community, um, but pretty much it's it's a toss up between either doing an Indiegogo, a Kickstarter, or doing a crowdfunding campaign on your own website. So between these, I have to say that Kickstarter definitely has the biggest community there. Indiegogo is a little bit more merit based. They have a GoGo Factor algorithm, which basically will determine how your your project does in the ranking system. Uh, Kickstarter relies more heavily on on Kickstarter picks for their magic algorithm. Um, and if you have the wherewithal and the clout to do your own uh, crowdfunding plat, uh, campaign on your own website, that's also that's a really great option um, just because you are going to get 
all the traffic. You're going to be able to control the process so much more, and you're going to be able to keep more of it what you raise. So it is. It's very difficult to answer which is the best there. Well, let me end this up. Thanks for talking to us. I want to, let me kind of give you kind of the future. So where's the, where's the future going with all this? You know, you've been in this for two years. What, what, what do you see happening in the next two years, the next year in this category completely? It's, I definitely, we're going to see a lot of growth in terms of uh, peer-to-peer lending platforms, which is arguably called debt crowdfunding so that's like lending club that's prosper lending clubs you know billion dollar company um we're also going to see more i think uh growth on the real estate crowdfunding uh, front if the legislation for the jobs act is ever fully growth there um, on equity crowdfunding and I think we're gonna. Let me I ask really you. Let me ask. See. Cut you off there. I'm gonna ask you to go back. We lost your voice there, just for a little bit. But uh, just before the word equ- equity, can you repeat that for us? Oh yeah, sure. I, I think we're gonna see once the Jobs Act is enacted fully, we're gonna see lots of growth on the equity crowdfunding front. Um, both good and bad. People are going to need to learn to become more savvy as an investor, because um, most people are not familiar with investing in startup companies. But we're also going to see, you know, hundred million dollar exits with some of these companies, which is just going to spur on the growth even more. And in some cases, maybe even billion dollar ones. So you're really talking about kind of this mini stock market. It's it's very similar to a stock market. You know, it's it's more of a, an IPO though, because the stock market's a secondary market for shares, whereas sure. mm-hmm. um, these would be prime a primary market. Um, I don't know if a secondary market will develop, but I would that'd be really cool if a, a secondary market developed around uh, equity crowdfunding. Let me get you one more before I let you go. You got lots of things going on. What's next for you and and all the things that you're offering? For me, uh, I, I'm doing. Within the crowdfunding industry, we're coming out with more courses to, to better teach crowdfunding to both entrepreneurs and in the future investors. Um, I, I'm looking to get, you know, I've started a podcast for on like episode 23 now. So we're going to be uh, continuing that. I really love interviewing these creators and people who have raised, in some cases, you know, over $100,000 on Kickstarter. And, it, it is, and it's amazing. It's so many different stories. And so many different personality types, you know. Um, but to me, that's like the pinnacle of uh, creation in terms of new businesses there, which is exciting. Um, I, I think also in the in the crowdfunding space, I'm starting to bring on my first part time uh, full time uh, employee who's going to help out with writing. So we're going to see a bit of diversification there in terms Congratulations. of the voice. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, the voice of crowd trucks and um, the the different you know, experts that we're going to start to cultivate in this area. And I uh, just hope to, you know, watch the, the incredible progress of the industry and be there to witness some of these amazing developments and changes. Salvador, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to talking to you again. We'll make sure that we put all the uh, appropriate links uh, associated with this inside the article uh, on our webpage. And uh, best of luck to you and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks so much for having me on, Eric. And uh, yeah, if anyone want to also personally tweet at me, my handle is at sbrigman, S-B-R-I-G-G-M-A-N. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. We'll make sure we include that. Take care, man. Bye-bye.